All right, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all here. Grace, peace, and blessings to you. And if you're joining us via live stream, glad to have you with us as well. As you're getting yourself situated, let me make to you a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, first is that on May 21st, which is a Saturday, uh, we will have a spring workday here at the church uh, from 9 to 1230 uh, p.m. So if you are available, if we can make some time, we would certainly appreciate uh, any time and effort that you can give uh, towards that Saturday just to help maintain just our, our building and grounds as well. Uh, even if you cannot make it for the, or be here for the entire time, that's fine. Uh, but any time that you can give uh, for that Saturday would be most helpful. And also, the following day, May 22nd, which is a Sunday, uh, we are having a congregational meeting. And this is just be to mainly just to update you on church finances uh, and a few other matters as well. And so, uh, also, uh, if you, uh, so if you are a, a parent, uh, there is uh, a memory verse that we are encouraging our children uh, to learn, and so I would encourage you as a parent to help your children uh, learn those memory verses as well. So last week, uh, your kids should have left with uh, something like this, like a worksheet, and in the back is actually a memory verse. And so uh, it's a way that we can sort of uh, help uh, there be sort of a, a, a unison, a harmony between what we do on Sunday mornings, especially like as we go through a book like Ecclesiastes. And so how do we incorporate that into the life of our children as they are engaging in different, uh, different lessons and things and activities in learning children's ministry? And so this is a way to sort of uh, involve them in the life of the church. So anyways, that's there for you, just for you to know in case you missed that. Uh, we are here to, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and later during the service, I'll be talking about, in part, about uh, a contrast between uh, uh, two different houses and how one house lends itself to learning wisdom. And uh, it is a privilege, it is a blessing to be able to come together as God's household this morning. And, uh, but let us come together this morning, not just seeking information for the sake of information, but let us seek to, uh, to know more, to know more biblical truth in order that we may apply it as well, because in that is wisdom. But let us also come before the Lord this morning and in wisdom respond to the God we know uh, through worship, by lifting up our voices and, and praising uh, the excellencies of Christ. Uh, let us respond wisely to the God that we know through prayer and bringing our requests before God and making them known to the Lord. And let us also uh, wisely uh, come before the Lord uh, through the preaching of the word, coming in reverence, in humility, and, and tending also to apply what God means to instruct us with this morning. But let's go before the Lord this morning, and let's first begin by worshiping the Lord through song. Amen. All right, church, let's stand in worship. <clears throat> so it is good, the word says, that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Let's worship this morning. Amen. Sing together. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. 
praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Let's continue worship. What patience. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise, praise the Lord, His mercy is more.
you this morning in spirit and in truth right now father we just want to acknowledge the saving grace lord that you have graciously given us lord through the cross through your son jesus christ god we sing praises glorifying your name glorifying the work that has brought salvation to our to our lives, to our souls. And it's in that truth and it's in in the cross, Lord, that we magnify you, that we worship you today. So I pray, God, you may continue to humble our hearts to receive your word. May you uh, continue, Lord, uh, to to open our hearts uh, and our minds, Lord, uh, to your word as we as we sit and as we listen and sit under your word today, um, God, we're here to glorify you. And we thank you, Father, uh, for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. I failed to mention earlier, in case you didn't know already, it is Mother's Day. So, happy Mother's Day. And, uh... There are some carnations in the back, so on your way out this morning, feel free to grab one of those, all of them, <laughs> all women, all moms, and um, I'm just going to pray. <laughs> Romans 11, verses 33 to 36, we'll pray and then we'll get into the word. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, we cannot understand uh, how deep is 
your great knowledge and wisdom. We read in the scriptures that it is in your wisdom that you created the world. It is in your wisdom that you have sent your son, who is the personification of your wisdom, to come into the world and die for sinners. Lord, even as we consider the book of Romans and consider that all the precious truth that it teaches us concerning our sin, concerning our depravity, concerning our need for a Savior, and Jesus Christ being that man and God who's come into the world to die for sinners and rise again for their forgiveness and their redemption, and how we might have life in his name. And even if we, as we consider this chapter in which this passage rests, and how we as Gentiles are grafted in to your tree, this fruitful olive tree that bears fruit unto salvation, and then coming to the Apostle Paul's word, his, his praise and his glorying in Jesus Christ and proclaiming the depths of the riches, the knowledge and the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are your judgments and how inscrutable are your ways, O Lord. Father, we worship you. It is such a delight, it is such a joy to be able to sing of your great mercies that never run out for us. It is a joy to remember that Christ died for us. And Lord, we want to be wise and respond to what you have done for us. And so we come together and we worship you and to offer our prayer requests to you, Lord. And in our prayers, Lord, we also want to come before you and confess our sins to you and confess our transgressions. Lord, your word imparts to us great wisdom and knowledge and insight and understanding. And God, we just, we come before you and we confess that we don't often or we don't always act wisely. That there are moments when we know better, that we know what is the right thing to do, and we fail to do them. Lord, we fail to at times to act out and live according to what your scriptures command for us. And so we ask, God, that you might be gracious to us and you might forgive us, Lord, for the moments when we have failed to act wisely. But as we have just sung moments ago, Lord, we rejoice in the fact that you are a merciful God and you renew to us your mercies each and every single day. And as profound as your wisdom is, so profound also is your mercy towards your people. And so we thank you, Lord, that no matter how much we draw from the wellspring of your wisdom and, and mercy, Lord, that fountain never runs out. And so we thank you, Lord, for being so good and gracious to us. And we ask, God, that you would help us to be wise. Lord, give us more wisdom. Lord, give us a growing hunger for wisdom. Lord, and we need it more than we realize. Life is hard. Living as a Christian is hard. 
in the times that we live in make it increasingly hard to live as a Christian. And so, Lord, we, we need wisdom. We need the wisdom that comes from your word. We need the wisdom that can only come from you. And so we ask, God, that you might give to us wisdom. And your word promises us in the book of James that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach. And so we ask God that you would graciously give us your wisdom and that we may do so, that we may ask without doubting, but that we might ask and with a confidence that comes from knowing that you hear us and that you also are faithful to your word. And if you tell us to pray for wisdom and you give it generously, then we can trust that you will certainly give it generously. And Lord, this morning we pray specifically for our brother Bill Bridgewood, and we ask God that you might continue to be, that you might continue to be his source of strength and comfort. Lord, help him to seek the Lord Jesus, that he might find his rest and joy and satisfaction in Christ. Lord, that you might draw near to him in moments when he might feel alone. Let him know that you are always with your people. That is why you have given your people your Holy Spirit, so that you may abide with them all their days of their life. May he draw comfort from this truth. We pray for our sister Evelyn Cable, and God, we pray that you would continue to sustain her health. Lord, we pray that you would also fix her eyes on Christ, who is her Savior. Lord, and that she might continue to rejoice in her salvation. And Lord, that she might continue to cast all her cares and anxieties upon you, and that you might give her your peace. Father, we pray for those in our church, for those who are struggling, for those who are in times of affliction and trials. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom to know how to respond in these moments. We pray that you would give them knowledge and insight. Father, we pray that you, by your spirit, would comfort them and sustain them and give to them the strength that could only come from your spirit. Father, as we also think of missions and those that we support, we pray for our sister Reshma and as she continues to prepare for for missions. And God, we pray that you would give her insight and direction as she applies to be sent out through different missions organizations. Lord, give her direction and guidance so that you would make the decision so clear. We pray that you would be a light unto her feet and a guide, Father, for her path. Lord, please comfort her heart, Lord, as she nears the completion of her program and cannot help but think about the relationships that she's established over the past few years and the people that she will have to leave behind and say goodbye to. Lord, comfort her heart and give her peace. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to remind her of your incredible love for her. And Father, we've, as we also turn our attention to, to our area, to the Seacoast area, and to New England, Father, we pray for a great salvation. Father, your word tells us that 
that the gospel itself is considered to be foolish by the world, but the gospel itself is the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God in turning the sinner into a saint. The gospel is the wisdom of God in turning those who have been estranged from God into children who have been adopted into the household of God. And so help us, help your people to continue to live out their adoption. Help your people to continue to live out the gospel and to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Lord, and if it, looks, if it appears to be foolish to the world, then let it be so, Lord. Let us rejoice in our foolishness. But let us also proclaim the foolishness of the gospel until people hear and see and respond and see that the gospel itself is wisdom from God and that they might turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ and give their lives to follow Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, that you would turn the hearts of many to respond to the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our country, and we pray, Father, for, for kids and teenagers, Lord, who are struggling more now than ever with depression because of social media, because of isolation for the past couple of years, and many who might still live in isolation. Father, we pray for the right resources we pray that they would receive help, that they would receive aid. And Father, we pray that you would bring those with beautiful feet who carry the good news, that you would bring such individuals into their lives to proclaim the gospel of Christ, that they might find their joy and satisfaction and rest in Christ, that they might learn to treasure the Lord Jesus. And Father, as this day, on this day, as we remember and as we celebrate mothers on, the, on this Mother's Day, Father, we pray especially for moms. Lord, we pray. Lord, give them a grand vision for their home, for their parenting, especially in a world and a society and culture that demeans or devalues motherhood. Lord, restore to them just a grand vision of what it means to be a mother. You have designed this calling, and it is a calling, and it is a glorious calling, and it is a wonderful calling, even though it certainly is filled with many struggles and many things that seem mundane and are mundane, but Lord, it is a calling to raise children especially to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Lord, give them strength. Lord, give them encouragement in the moments when they seem, when they are discouraged. Lord, and we certainly understand the struggle of working at mothering and raising children and all of these things and wondering if it's, if it's working at all, if there's any fruit at all. But we pray that you would help them to endure and to continue to press on. And Lord, we pray that in your grace that you would help them to see even just small bits of fruits that they might continue to be encouraged 
and continue to, to work hard in this glorious calling. Father, we pray for those who are expecting. God, we thank you for this gift that you are right now growing in their womb. And God, we pray for healthy pregnancies, for healthy deliveries. We pray for healthy moms. We pray for healthy babies. Would you be gracious in this way? Father, we pray that as, as these mothers are expecting to receive their, their, their children soon, that they may also grow in anticipation and joy and excitement. Lord, provide them the strength and energy they need as they continue to grow these little ones in the womb. Lord, prepare them. Prepare their hearts. Prepare their minds. Father, we pray for those who are struggling with infertility. Children are a gift. And it is such a gracious thing that comes from the Lord for, for couples, for, for women to want to have children. But we live in a world that is plagued with sin and some struggle with infertility. Lord, in those moments where there's just difficulty, when there is sadness, perhaps even frustration and anger, God, would you remind them that you love them and that you care for them and that your heart also aches with theirs. And God, we pray that you would be gracious, God, and we pray for a miracle and that you, you would, God, grant them children. Lord, we pray for those who have lost children, whether they are older children, whether it's children through miscarriage. Father, we pray that you would help them to see Jesus Christ as their greatest treasure. And certainly children are a gift. And they are such a rich treasure. But would you help these mothers, Lord, to see Christ, to embrace Christ as their greatest treasure? To see Jesus himself as the greatest gift and the salvation that he provides. Lord, comfort their hearts. Give them peace. Give them rest in moments when their minds are just played with frustration and sadness. Lord, we pray for those who have, for those mothers who have lost their moms, either through death or because of estranged relationships. We pray also for those who care for sick, for their moms who are sick. And Father, we pray that, that you might encourage them, that you might motivate them in those moments when they feel as if they're just, they feel like giving up, feel discouraged, feel like there's nothing left to give, that you would help them to draw from the fountain of love that is accessible through Jesus Christ, that they may continue to pour out themselves and continue to love their mothers who are sick. Lord, encourage those who 
in these days, like in, in a day like this, might miss their mom, might, might miss those precious moments that they've had with her. Lord, draw near to your people. You are the God of all comfort, who comforts your people. And God, we also, lastly, we pray for those, for for moms who just yearn and ache for their children to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether they are still in the home, whether they are out of the home. God, and we pray specifically for two things. We pray, God, that they would not cease praying. That they would continue to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock, to plead, to beg. That you would graciously save their children that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. God, that they would not give up praying. It is certainly much more powerful than having a plausible argument or presenting the right information that hopefully will persuade them to come to faith in Christ. Prayer is effective. So Lord, we pray that they will not cease in praying. And God, secondly, we pray that you would grant them the desires of their heart and that you would save children, that you would save their precious ones. Soften hearts, remove those things that are causing them to be blind. Open their minds to hear, to receive, and to see the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ and come to embrace him as their Savior. So, Lord, we entrust all of these things to you in confidence that you hear us. And it's with that same confidence also that we come before you and we pray the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray in the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our debts so we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you would, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 will be reading verses 1 to 13. Ecclesiastes 7, picking up in verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and a day of death than a day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools it's in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. 
Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray for the wisdom that can only come from above. Lord, give us wisdom this morning. Help us to receive your word in all humility and reverence. Lord, and we pray that your word would accomplish whatever you have purposed for it to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think I need to convince you of the fact that, pr- that time is precious, right? that time is valuable, it's a valuable commodity, is precious because, well, we can't buy any of it in order to give ourselves more time. Time comes, time goes, we all have only the 24 hours that we're given each day and nothing more. And while time is certainly precious, and I don't think the Bible would disagree with that, but when I consider the things, the list of things that the Bible considers precious or invaluable, I don't think actually time is on that list. You might also think, well, what about eternal life? Eternal life is a gift of God that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Even eternal life, right, it's a concept of time there. It's forever, living forever with God and with Christ. While that is true, Jesus also says in the Gospels that eternal life is to know God. So eternal life isn't so much about time, but more about relationship. But something that does make the list of what is precious and valuable, according to the scriptures, is wisdom. Hence why many places in the scriptures, especially in the book of Proverbs, you're told to seek after it, to search for it like hidden treasure. For example, Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Job 28, verse 15, it says that wisdom cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. In 7.13, it tells us, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? So if you were here last week, or if you happened to listen to the sermon from last week, we talked about how God created reality. What we have today was created by God, designed by God, or permitted or allowed by God. And there are some things within our lives, within our, even our personal lives, that we cannot change. There are some things that are fixed. And so then it is up to us to determine, well, 
according to the scriptures, how then should we live? And we talked about that. What does it look like to live under God's reality, especially when there are things that we cannot change? And it's a reminder to us of our finiteness. That as much as we might desire to change some things, we are not able to change everything. And so that application from last week actually continues into this week. How then do we live? How should we live in God's reality? And for us this morning, I have just one, one point for us to consider, and that is life inside God's reality demands wisdom. We're called to be wise with the life, the life that's been given to us. We're called to be wise with the things that have been entrusted to us. We're called to be wise knowing when there are things that God has fixed that we cannot change. And so if we seek to grow in wisdom, first consider that wisdom, wisdom considers death. So if you'd be wise, you would consider death. Verses 1 and 2 says, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death and the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. So it is not saying that, that to die is better than to be born. It is not saying that we should not celebrate the day of birth. We certainly celebrate the day of birth. But what it's trying to tell us is actually clarified in the first part of that passage. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death and the day of birth. It's telling us that while we celebrate the day of birth of children, we rejoice, we celebrate, we are glad. But we are not yet able to tell the kind of legacy that this child will leave behind. It has not made a name for itself yet. We don't know how he or she will live out their life. So in that sense, it's sailing us to consider the day of death and the good name that you'll leave behind. This is what it means by considering death, meaning consider the brevity of your life. Consider what kind of legacy you would leave behind if you were, say, to pass away soon. What would people remember about you? It's a call to consider one's life, that it is brief. It's a consideration of one's name. There may not be a lot that we can change about our lives or in the world that we desire to change. But you can control how you live your life. That you have control over. And how you manage your life, how you conduct your life, what kind of character you display is how you will be remembered. Might you be remembered as a Christian? Or if somebody attended your funeral, but might they be surprised to find out that you were a Christian? That you love the Lord Jesus? That you were in pursuit of the kingdom of Christ? And that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting? That this... There's a sort of an information that is transferred from this house of mourning 
to the mind and heart of the person who's in the house of mourning. Again, that information is that they consider the brevity of their life. They consider the fact that, hey, I actually don't live forever. The Lord might call me to himself at any moment. So how then am I living my life today? There's a couple of people I remember. Some of you know this person. Some of you do not because you came after him. But several years ago, the Lord called to himself a dear brother by the name of Gerard Lachance. And if you're here, if you remember Gerard Lachance, you remember some certain things about him. But one of the things that you would probably remember about him is that he was an evangelist. He loved to share the gospel with people. And it was a delight. It was such a joy just to hear him talk about how, this, how he talked, shared the gospel with somebody. and It just came out so naturally. And he wouldn't share these stories just to gloat. But he just shared them because he was rejoicing. And that's the kind of legacy that he's left behind. I think of somebody like Red Crossman, some of you might remember, who has served as a deacon for many years because he was a servant at heart. And that's the kind of legacy that he left behind. That's the kind of name that he left for himself. And this is what this passage is calling us to think about. What kind of name would you leave behind? What kind of legacy would you leave behind for your children? How will you be remembered? And this doesn't happen by accident. Right? We have control over how we live our lives. Psalm 112 tells us, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He remembered certainly by his loved ones, but more importantly, he will be remembered by the Lord. Remembered forever are the righteous, those who are righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, who consider it wise to give their lives to Jesus Christ, who consider it wise to lay down their lives to pursue the kingdom of Christ, now in this life, in the present, for as long as they have their lives. And in this sense, is why the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. It's not that you never feast. It's not that you never celebrate. It's not that you never rejoice. I mean, even Jesus himself attended a wedding and celebrated. But there's something about the house of feasting and the house of rejoicing that sort of distracts you from the cares of the world, from the things that are causing you distress and anxiety. Sometimes we pursue the house of feasting. Sometimes we pursue those momentous occasions and celebrations as an intentional effort to forget about the things that we don't want to think about. But the house of mourning can sort of reorient us to the things that matter most. It can function as a calibration to the compass of our hearts. If you've been sort of distracted by the cares of the world, if you've been sort of gravitating toward the things that the that Ecclesiastes tells us to not give our lives to, which is the pursuit of money and wealth and status and honor in the world and these fleeting pleasures that ultimately do not satisfy, when you consider the brevity of your life, it can sort of recalibrate the compass of your heart to get you to focus on the things that actually do matter most. 
Someone had once said that the name that you leave behind, that the, your name and my name, it both tarrieth behind him on earth and goeth with him into heaven and will crown him with glory on the last day. Your name matters. You should care about the legacy you leave behind. And then one of the things that will determine that kind of legacy that you leave behind is whether or not Christ knows your name. Does Christ know you? When you go into heaven and stand before the judgment seat of God and you behold Jesus Christ, will he know who you are? And if you can confidently say, yes, he will know my name and he will remember me, then this is why you live your life for Christ today. If you know that Christ will remember you, that Christ will know your name, then now is a time to live for Christ, to leave that kind of legacy behind. That among other things that people might remember you, that people will remember that this person loved the Lord and was in pursuit of the kingdom of Christ. Laid their life down to help and serve others because this person knew that Christ knew him or her. So if you would be wise, consider that your life is but a passing moment. Second, Wisdom welcomes rebuke. Verse 5 says, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. This set of passages actually gives us a picture of the camp of fools. It tells us about the song of fools, the laughter of fools and those who have been corrupted by foolery. These are those who are considered, according to the scriptures, who live foolish lives. That is, that they do not live in the fear and the reverence of God. They do not live in the reality that it is rational, that it is logical, that it is sensible to believe in God and to give your life for him. And so this passage warns us of the song of fools. The song of the foolish is intended to appease your conscience. The song of the foolish is intended to make you lie down in peace when perhaps you should be plagued with anxiety and shame, and perhaps guilt over wrongdoing and sin. The song of the foolish is intended to mesmerize you into thinking that wrongdoing is actually right-doing. Essentially, the song of fools is intended to mask the truth. The laughter of the fool, on the other hand, rejoices in wrongdoing. It celebrates sin, is entertained by sin. It loves sin. You know how culture and society tries to turn your mind to accept the things that the Bible tells us not to accept? the things that the Bible considers sin and transgression, by getting you to laugh about them. 
if it can, if it can present, if the world can present abominable sins in a way that is lighthearted and in a comedic manner and gets you to laugh about it, then it'll soften your heart towards it. And over time, as you continue to laugh about it, it will become much more acceptable to you. This passage also warns us about corruption into foolery, that even the wisest person, the most upstanding citizen, the most righteous person can even be corrupted himself. And it speaks here about oppression. Then the meaning here is actually intended to communicate sort of an, ex- a, 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 an active oppression, that this person might be considered wise because of his pursuits and desire and love for money, something we talked about in the last sermon might be actually tempted to extort or oppress someone in order to gain more for himself. And in that sense, the person who is once wise is actually then corrupts himself and then comes to join the camp of fools. So if we would be wise, then we would avoid joining the camp of fools. And it tells us how do we do that. And that is to take, one way to do that is to take rebuke, to receive it, to take it, to be open to it, rebuke that is grounded in truth, truth that comes from his word, truth based on reality given to us in his word. Proverbs 15.31 tells us, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. There's an intelligence that only comes from receiving correction and reproof. But if you are unwilling to receive it, Proverbs tells us that you're actually doing damage to yourself. You're injuring yourself when you will not listen to reason and receive correction and rebuke. Rebuke and correction and reproof function as sort of these flashing lights in the middle of the night when you're driving to warn you that the bridge ahead is out, and if you continue moving forward, you're going to fall off the bridge and injure yourself. And so reproof and correction is intended to, is intended to be a means of grace in the life of the Christian, to bring us back into reality if we've been sort of crossing the line into the illusions of the world. Every time that we meet on the Lord's Day, to come and to worship the Lord, to hear from His Word, these are intended to be reminders to us of precious truths and precious realities concerning Christ, concerning ourselves, concerning our eternal destiny. Especially if you say you've been distracted or asleep over the past week. This is intended to be Flashing signs, sirens to wake you up, to remember, hey, it's time to wake up and stop dreaming of the illusions of the world. And so some questions to ask yourself, if you would be wise, is do you welcome rebuke? Do those closest to you know that you welcome rebuke? If you'd be so daring, ask them. Ask your spouse, hey, do you think I actually welcome rebuke? You might be surprised by their answer. Would you welcome it? Rebuke, by the way, also 
means that you're in, co- in community, right? Because if you're never in community, if you're never engaging with God's people, then you're missing out on that particular means of grace. Because if you then decide to cross the line into accepting the illusions of the world and you're never around any other believers on a regular basis, there's not going to be anybody to call you back to the truth. So it does require you to be in Christian fellowship in community. Would you rebuke? Would you correct someone, a brother or sister, in a gentle and gracious and loving manner? The standard of the Bible is our only security. It's the standard of the Bible by which we go and lovingly rebuke others, and it's the way in which we should desire others to come and correct and rebuke us as well in order to keep us from joining the camp of fools. And it's the only means by which we can sort of put a hedge of protection around ourselves so that we may not gradually walk into the camp of fools. So if you would be wise, welcome rebuke. Thirdly, wisdom is patient. Verse 8, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now you might expect there to be a contrast between the patient in spirit and the impatient in spirit, but instead it says the proud in spirit, that is the prideful. It seems to teach us that impatience actually comes from a form of pride. I mean, why do we often get frustrated and angry and upset? Is it not sometimes that we care to admit that because we have unmet expectations, we have things that we expect, things we desire, things that we want, and we don't get what we want? We have this idealistic vision that isn't ever really reality. I expect my, I might expect that my three-year-old will be perfectly behaved, and then, and then I get upset when they don't behave. Well, that's an, that's an unrealistic expectation. And why do I have that expectation? Because I care about myself. Because I want easy. Pride is the exaltation of self above God. But when God doesn't operate according to our timetable and God doesn't give us what we want and God doesn't answer the prayers that we bring before him in the manner that we want them to be answered and the time that we want them to be answered, well, then we get impatient and then we do things out of impatience and then sin in our impatience. And then when we come to realize, when we come to our senses, we realize I've been impatient. If only I had been patient, this would not have happened. A case in point is the story of Abraham and Sarah. They were promised a child, even in their old age. They were way past their childbearing age. The promise kept coming, but no deliverance yet until one day Sarah, in her impatience, invited also her husband to sin against her and against God also by telling, taking her servant, giving her to Abraham, have, have, give me children through her, and, that's, and in that way, ceasing on the promise of God in an impatient manner. Ever done that before? Done something, ceased on something because we were impatient? 
and unwilling to wait. But patience is the child of faith. Patience comes from trusting in the Lord with every detail of your life. Patience is certainly waiting, right? We wait, we continue to wait, and we continue to wait. And while we wait, patience is also trusting. It's an active waiting. We trust in the Lord. We trust that he is sovereign. We trust that he is good. We trust that he cares for every single detail of our lives. And patience is also to wait and to trust without grumbling and complaining. The proud, on the other hand, those who are arrogant, those who are boastful, want results, and they want it immediately, and they want it right now, and when they don't get it, well, then they take matters into their own hands, or they go somewhere else, or they seek out somebody else, rather than waiting patiently on the Lord. And as a Christian, patience is essential to the Christian life. You can't endure for very long as a Christian without being patient. It takes a great deal of patience to wait for God to answer prayers, to continue to ask and seek and knock and to plead and to wait for God to answer prayer. It takes a great deal of patience to suffer under the afflictions of the body, whether it's injury, whether it's terminal illness or disease, as you wait for your glorified body that God has promised to us. It takes a great deal of patience to endure persecution as a Christian waiting for Christ for one day for Christ to return and crush all of his enemies. It takes a great deal of patience to bear the weight of the hostility of the world, waiting for God's kingdom to come. This is why Jesus says that you must count the cost before following me, because it takes a great deal of patience to follow the Lord Jesus. The Christian's life is certainly not for the impatient, but for those who commit to its sort of pilgrimage lifestyle and see it through until the very end when they receive the unfading crown of glory. So if you would be wise, be patient, learn patience, and if you would be daring, pray for patience. Fourthly, wisdom is slow to anger. Verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. There's an interesting choice of words in this passage. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges or abides or resides in the heart of fools. So in other words, we can become angry so quickly in a moment's notice, but the thing that the insidious nature of anger is that it actually lodges in one's heart. It's like taking a thick block of wood and then taking a screw and trying to twist that screw into the block of wood. The deeper you go, the harder it gets. And the deeper that, that, that screw is driven into the block of wood, the harder it's going to be to get that thing out. That is the nature of anger. It lodges, it resides in our heart. And I'll tell you that it takes a great deal of time and patience and effort and a lot of prayer to get that anger out of your heart. But it's not impossible. And the wise will keep themselves from having 
a fool's heart that is quick to get angry. It's not that you never get angry. It's not condemning anger itself. I mean, God himself displays his anger and his wrath and fury, but it's because of his holiness, because of his perfection, because of his purity, and he cannot help but become angry and wrathful towards sin and wickedness and evil. Moses was angry when he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of God and saw the people of God worshiping a pagan image and committing sin with one another and against one another, and he threw those tablets on the ground, and they crushed them, and they broke them. And he was not condemned for his anger. Jesus himself became angry as well when he saw in the temple the tables and the money changers and exchangers and people selling things. And, the, and he came in the temple, and right, he, if you remember, he, he flipped those tables, took away, and drove out all the animals. Why? Because he was angry. But Jesus did not commit sin in his anger. It wasn't a sinful anger. The anger that this passage warns about is a kind of flaring, hasty anger that chases away a sanctified and holy character. So if you consider yourself an angry person or a person who is quick to get angry, then you must make every effort to rule over your anger and work hard at twisting the screw out of your heart. Because that anger, this kind of hasty anger that chases away a holy and sanctified character that you have in Christ, is oppressive. It's weighty. It's like, it's like a bird that's taking flight. It sets its sights on the heavens. It wants to soar above the clouds, and it's flapping its wings, but then comes a strong wind that beats against the bird, and no matter how much it tries and resists the wind, it cannot reach as high as it wants to go, and it gets tired, and it gets exhausted, and it has nothing left to do but to go back to the ground and wait for the wind to die down. That's the oppressive nature of anger. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. When we give ourselves to kind of this, kind of, kind of this hasty, flaring anger that chases away a holy and sanctified character, it is a place of folly. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. One way that I would suggest to you, if you consider yourself a person who is quick to get angry, if you consider yourself to be a person who has anger in his heart, is to consider studying the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus certainly in his lifetime had, there were many opportunities that could have lent himself to become, for him to become angry and chase away the holy and sanctified character that he had from the lack of understanding to the, of the disciples to the antagonism of the religious teachers and Pharisees to the countless people who kept coming after him for his gifts and not really for him and to know him to even the crowds that screamed for his crucifixion. 
all of these moments could have been moments that Jesus could have had this hasty, blazing anger, and he was never angry in any of those moments. So consider studying through one of the Gospels with an eye to anger and seeing how Jesus responded in moments when you and I would be angry. So if you would be wise, be slow to anger. Fifthly, wisdom lives in the present. Verse 10, say not why were the former days better than these, for it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So this is a person who focuses too much on the past and misses out what's going on in the present. Because he lives in the past, he cannot enjoy God's good gifts in the present. And certainly we have reasons to complain today, just as any generation has reasons to complain, right? Inflation is high, there's scarcity of certain foods, and certain foods are super expensive, gas is high, and so it's easy for us to think, wow, remember the good old days when things were much better, when gas was cheaper, when grocery stores didn't have any of these things, it's basic essential things that are actually missing today. It's not that wisdom never considers the past, it's that wisdom is always focused so much on the present. There may be a lot of things that we wish we could change, that we wish would change, but the value of wisdom is that it does not focus on the things that the person cannot change, but it focuses on the things that can change. And what can change, what you can change, is your response to the times. And wisdom also considers the things that should never change, that you should never desire to change, such as to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That should never change. To love your labor of yourself, that should never change. To love your families, to work hard and well in your jobs, to teach your children, Essentially, what should never change and would be wise for us to consider is for us to continue to pursue the kingdom of Christ. That should never change. The value of wisdom is that it focuses on that. That never changes, no matter how good or how bad the times are. Someone had once said, it is folly to cry out of the badness of the times when there is so much reason to complain of the badness of our hearts. We certainly have a tendency sometimes to complain of the things that are around us that we wish you could change and never consider the things in our own lives that should change. Perhaps the anger that's in our hearts, the sins that we struggle with, perhaps a lack of love for others. That is worthy of our consideration. And to consider those things would be wise. That's what it means to be in the present, to live in the present. And sixth and lastly, wisdom builds a fortress. Verse 12, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. There are certainly benefits to money. The wisdom here is to have money with wisdom. And money is helpful. Money is valuable. Right? We need money to put a roof over our heads and the head of our families. 
We need money to put food on the table. We need money in order to save and leave an inheritance to our children. That money provides a sort of hedge of protection to some degree, and wisdom as well provides a certain level of protection over one's life. And in that way, they're both sort of the same, but it does say that wisdom is advantages because there are certain things that money cannot buy. The value of wisdom, as it tells us in other places in the Scriptures, but especially the Proverbs, is that wisdom, generally speaking, leads to longer life. It's not a promise, but if you give yourself to life of wisdom, living under the fear of God, to accepting God, to embracing God in Christ as your greatest treasure, and to living in the fear of God and following His commandments, that generally speaking, it leads to longer life as opposed to the life of foolishness, the life that is absent from God, the life that is given to licentious living, to sinful living, to pursuing the sinful pleasures of this world. Not only that, but the value of wisdom that enhances the quality of your life. Your life is just so much better when you live it in wisdom, the wisdom that comes from the Scriptures. The value of wisdom is that it preserves the life of the one who embraces and treasures it, even unto eternal life. The Bible intends to persuade us to pursue the good life, and the good life, according to the Bible, is the life of wisdom. And the life of wisdom is the life that embraces Jesus Christ as their ultimate treasure. So if you would be wise, treasure Christ. Ask for more of Christ. Pursue more of Christ. This is the way to grow in more wisdom. Money can protect you from a lot of things, from poverty, from ruination, from hunger. But only the wisdom that comes from Christ can turn a man or woman of God into a mighty fortress that can repel the fiery arrows of the devil. It can help them endure the, under the hot furnace of affliction. Only the wisdom that comes from Christ can turn you into the kind of fortress that can withstand the battering, the, the, the battering rams, the temptations of the world. And the only way that we can fortify ourselves is by growing in more wisdom pursuing more of Christ, treasuring Christ. Proverbs 4, 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Get wisdom. Pursue wisdom. The scriptures actually also tell us that wisdom is personified. And it's personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Just as God created the world through wisdom, it also tells us in the scriptures Jesus himself created the world. Jesus is the personification of the wisdom of God. Hence why we should get wisdom and get more of Christ and pursue Christ and treasure Christ and treasure wisdom and pursue wisdom. 
Because the promise is, is that if you prize wisdom and prize Christ highly, then he will exalt you because Christ exalts the humble. And you will be honored if you embrace Christ. Just as it tells us, for example, in 1 Peter. And if you pursue Christ and embrace Christ, that you also be, it will be placed upon you this beautiful crown of righteousness. So there's the value of wisdom. So get wisdom, get insight, get understanding. This only comes from following Jesus Christ, working against the anger of your heart, engaging yourself in Christian community, and open yourself to rebuke and be that kind of person for others. And consider the brevity of your life. And consider the kind of person, the kind of legacy you want to leave behind. Consider how you want to be remembered and have that kind of vision and start to live accordingly. Before we respond with one last song, I want to take a moment and take communion together. So if you have not done yet, uh, there are these communion cups in the back table, so feel free, if you haven't grabbed one yet, to grab one now. Christ commanded his church to take bread in the cup, something he instituted as a, the new covenant in his blood. We take this bread and we take this cup remembering what Christ has done for us. We're reminded that in Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we see the incredible wisdom of God. The wisdom of God and his... The miracle that he brings about in turning a sinner into a saint and turning the one who's been estranged from God into a child of the living God. And so as we take this meal, this is what it reminds us of, this great and powerful wisdom that God displays in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we take this bread, remembering the battered body of Jesus Christ who was wounded for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. And we take this cup remembering that the shed blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the remission of every single one of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus Christ died for you. And this is why we take this meal. And we do not believe that this becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. These are representative elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They remind us of what Christ has done for us, and they help us also to look forward to the day when Christ will return to take us with himself and invite us all to be part of his great banquet and take this meal together with him. So if you're here this morning, if you, are, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe and trust in him, 
if your life is characterized by the repentance that the Scriptures command, not perfect holiness, because that's impossible, but of life of continually turning to Jesus Christ and the confession of sins and turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ. And if you have received baptism, then you are invited, whether or not you're a member here at church, at this church, you're invited to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. And even as you take this meal, consider what you've heard this morning. Consider how exactly the Lord might be calling you to live a life of wisdom. What does it mean to be wise? And one of the things that, according to the scriptures, that the wise do is they confess their sins to the Lord. They confess their sins to the Lord because they know that they are sinners and because they know of their desperate need of the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So even as you take this meal, wisely consider your own sins and confess your sins to the Lord and remember and trust that all of your sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is mercy and there is forgiveness for you. If you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your life isn't characterized by the repentance and obedience that God requires in his word, then we just ask that you not take this meal with us. Because 1 Corinthians warns against those who take this meal in unworthy manner that is apart from faith. For in your doing so, you drink a particular judgment upon yourself. But even as we take this meal, consider what you've heard this morning. Consider the wisdom of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. That Jesus Christ is calling you today to believe and trust in him. The world might consider that an act of foolishness, but not according to the word. Not according to the Lord. To place your faith upon the Savior who died for your sins is the greatest act of obedience and wisdom that you can do with your life right now. And even if you to live your last moments. If you turn your life to Jesus Christ, you will receive eternal life, and you'll be remembered for that. You'll be remembered by the Lord Jesus Christ. He will remember you when you enter into heaven. So let me read to us a passage of Scripture. We'll take the bread and then read another passage of Scripture. We'll take the cup and then conclude to a short prayer and then have one last song. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's take this together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's take this together. Jesus, we do continue to proclaim your death. And we will do so until you return. 
Lord, help us to continue to proclaim your death as we take this meal as a family of God. Help us to continue to proclaim your death verbally in the sharing of the gospel with others. Help us to continue to proclaim your death by our very lives and laying down our lives for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Lord, the world considers it foolishness for one to give up their lives, to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Lord, but when you know everything that we, when we know everything that we have to gain, God, it is, it is wise to make that kind of sacrifice. What we have to gain is much more precious and much more valuable than our very lives. So help us in wisdom to continue to lay down our lives to follow the Lord Jesus who gave his life to die for us so that we might be saved. Let us follow in his example of wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand in worship in response of, uh, to his message. Amen. Let's sing together. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you, there is no other. True delight is found in you alone. Your grace. Your grace, a well too deep to fathom. Your
cross laid on your shoulders in my place you suffered bled and died lord you rose you rose the grave and death are conquered you broke my bonds of sin and shame oh lord my rock and my redeemer may all my days bring glory to your name so you rose you rose the grave and death are Today, I, I ask, Lord, that you may bring us back to the rea- to reality, Lord. Um, help us, Lord, to not be fooled by the distractions um, and illusions of the world. But may you graciously, Lord, provide us with wisdom. That we may be... Provide us wisdom, Lord, as well, to be quick to to listen and open, Lord, to accept and or admit a rebuke. Lord, help us uh, and grant us, Lord, patience as we follow you. May we be a people, Lord, to, uh, to be slow to anger and quick to prayer. As we heard today, Father, may we may we treasure prayer, Father. May we treasure prayer and continue to pursue and embrace, Lord, the good life of wisdom that we can only find in Christ Jesus. So I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Word of God says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.